Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostle, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast, please check us out at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Oh, and I'm so glad you're here with us. Enjoy. Hello, lovelies, and welcome back to the Fat Joy podcast. I'm joined today by Alejandra Porta, um, who I am so excited to talk to. I spotted Alejandra on Instagram, which is where I meet all my friends these days, <laughs> and loved what she was doing and invited her to be on the podcast. And she said yes. So, Alejandra, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for today. Oh, me too. We were just uh, talking about tattoos right before we got on the air. So it's going to be a good conversation. Um, Alejandra, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes, of course. So I'm, I'm Alejandra, or I get called Ale, um, and I'm an illustrator and designer. I'm also the co-creator of Shine Bootcamp, um, which we'll talk a little bit more later. And I have a huge passion to talk about self-compassion and body acceptance and self-acceptance. Yeah. And, and we're going to talk about this too, but it, because you went through something pretty mm. significant yes. yourself, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Based Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, yeah. Based on my journey, going through my journey, it really gave me a purpose of really um, sharing the tools that I learned in the center that I went, which led me to create um, a journal and an affirmation set. Um, and yeah, it, it, I had like a clear mission after going through this myself. Oh my God. I just got goosebumps. I love that. And it's beautiful. Like the illustrations, the colors, like it's so beautiful. I can't wait to share it with everybody. Um, but let's start with your relationship to the word fat, your journey towards that word. Tell us about that. Yes. So um, I went three years ago, I put myself in an eating disorder recovery center and I was there for two months and until I went to that center is when I realized how much fat phobic I was and how, how, how I had created this whole fear of becoming fat throughout my whole life. And it came to be from like comments from family members or, or, you know, what we see in society, like who are the people that we see on TV, who are the, the magazine covers, um, and I really started to have this healing process with the word fat and being, and now I feel really proud of being in a bigger body. And I really embrace being fat because I think it's, um, it's, it's really like breaking the norm. It's like not trying to fit in a mold that society has told us that that's what needs to be beautiful. And it's really about embracing how we are now in the body that we are now and trying to live 
life to the fullest. So I, I constantly try to challenge myself by doing like surfing. I, um, here in Nicaragua and surfing is really accessible. And earlier this year, I lived in the beach to learn surfing. And it really puts you into test because there's a lot of, again, there's a lot of inner fat phobia that sometimes still comes um, that you're like, oh, I'm going to fall because I'm fat. But I was yeah. reframing and being like, no, I'm going to fall because I haven't done surfing ever before. And it's completely human to fall. <laughs> or yoga. I also, I also did a yoga teacher training. And, um, and everybody in the yoga teacher training was in a smaller body. And that was, so it's challenging because there's, there's poses that are a bit harder and your inner dialogue, the first reaction in my inner dialogue has been, oh, you can't do that pose because of your size. So mm -hmm. it's catching it and being like, no, you, you can do it. You just haven't been stretched enough. And that's why it's hard. It has nothing to do with your size. So I'm really proud of myself because I think three years ago, I was always really hard on, on myself yeah. for, for that. So yeah. So now to, in conclusion, now I'm really proud of being fat and I, and I say it pr proudly and I try to always challenge that inner fat phobia that comes sometimes. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And is the word gordo, is that the, what's the Spanish word? Yeah. In Spanish is gordo or gorda. And it's, a, and, and actually here, there is a negative connotation, but there's also some people use it as um as a way to call as a nickname for people in a, oh. in a sweet way. So it's oh. interesting because it has some people call gordo gorda to their significant others, and they're not they they are in a smaller body, but there's just like right. a, an endearing way of saying to someone. Yeah, like my little dumpling or something in English. Like we have like these little endearments. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting, interesting. Mm -hmm. Oh, what you said about the immediate thoughts that you used to have with that internalized fat phobia and how you've learned to shift, catch them. First of all, notice them. Second of all, catch them. And then third of all, change them is that's huge. That is a lot of work. So I, I'm so excited to go a little further into that with you because I, my hunch is that like you said, three years ago, you checked yourself into an eating disorder recovery treatment program. And so did, if it's okay to share, if you want to share, did something happen that sparked it? Like, Oh yes. I was in a really unhealthy, um, in a, in a really hard relationship. Like my partner was someone that would comment on my body size, mm -hmm. would comment on what I would eat. Um, and it triggered, I mean, growing up, okay, if we start from the beginning, growing up, I think you could see that there were some red flags that I was paying too much attention in my physical appearance yeah. from when I was like nine years old, I would be really worried. My parents split up and my dad lived in Europe and I went to visit, went to live with him for one year. And then I was so fearful of coming back to Nicaragua, thinking that I had to gain weight. But I was nine. Like, how much weight can you really gain at nine, right? So it must have come from maybe a comment that I received earlier in my when I was younger, or maybe observing how other people refer to about other people's bodies. That's why it's really important not to comment on the physical appearance of the bodies because you never know. Every kid is listening yeah. and taking that in. It's true. Um, so when. 
yeah, so I, you could see some red flags that there was, I already had a complicated relationship with myself and my body image at a really early age. And when I was nine, when I was 16, I started, I changed schools and I started going out and drinking more and I developed like an eating disorder, like bulimia, like I would force mm. myself to throw up to not get drunk. And then it kind of got triggered into every time I would overeat, I would eat. So, and then I stopped because I ended up going to study to Toronto University and to, to OCAD, Ontario College of Art and Design. And I lived with a family and I was, um, I didn't want, I was embarrassed and I didn't want them to hear me. And I stopped on my own, but I still had a complicated relationship. Like every time I would come to Nicaragua for vacation, I would be terrified of coming home because my grandparents would comment, oh my gosh, you've gained so much weight. Yeah. And that, and obviously they would also be um, really happy and welcoming, but those comments yeah. were really, would really, and maybe they said it once, but it, they would really stay ingrained and I would put a lot of weight into my value as a person was really connected with the size of my of well, my and body. other and people's I, perception of it, right? Yeah. And I really had, I really had, and there was this exercise. Okay. So I did. So growing up, I guess my relationship with food has been complicated. I would do all sorts of diets, always trying to lose the extra pounds that I had gained while I was abroad. Every time yeah. I would come home. Can I, I'm curious about the role of your parents in this, like when, as they were watching, because you get, again, at nine, you were going back and forth between, you know, Europe and Nicaragua. Like, did they, were they worried? Did they talk to you about it? Like, how did that go? They would, they would comment. They would comment a hundred percent. My mom has always been in a smaller body, really slim her whole life. And I think in her, she, she, every time, I would gain weight, she would get worried, uh, really worried, and would have a conversation with me. Like I have a moment that I remember um, her asking me to weigh myself in front of my stepsister. And when the number came, she was like, of course, you're waiting so much. This is the heaviest that you've been. You should do Weight Watchers. I'll pay for the first month. And she yeah. would sometimes as a way of incentivating me to lose the weight, she would reward me with like, um, she has a jewelry store and sometimes she goes to buy jewelry in Miami. So I'll pay you for to come to Miami if you lose this amount of weight. Yeah. So without knowing, she was attaching this value on being slimmer. And we've already, we've talked and there's been a lot of healing with my relationship with her. And I know that, I know that all of these comments is like, they were worried and there, it came with the best intent Right. But it really hurt hurt me and created a lot of meaning in it. And then I dated this man who <laughs> was really he really wanted us to be this fit couple in quotations and do triathlons and and he was vegetarian, but really strict vegetarian and we lived together and I started gaining um weight in that relationship and all and he would comment he started commenting it and I just was in a really dark place like I was feeling really lonely and sad and trapped and it really led me to be like okay I am so fed up of trying all these exercise routines all these diets all like I've, I tried everything I tried juice cleanses sugar cleanse um 
going, going a whole year, paying a whole year in a bar studio to get the best body in quotation. Yeah. Um, literally every new thing that would come, I would try. And I remember, yeah, like even exercises, I did spinning, kickboxing, Muay Thai, um, running I ran a half marathon like there was all these things that I was that I've done and I never felt enough after doing all of that I that feeling of never feeling enough was really strong so that led me to be like okay I really need to get help like this is something it's not going to get fixed with seeing a nutritionist like I saw many nutritionists I saw many therapists but they were not necessarily focused in eating disorders. Yeah. Can I ask a question about that? Because we're, because then we're going to the eating disorder. I'm so fascinated. So I love just the list, right? I think so many of us have lists. I did these 20 things and did any of it or did any of these experts, these people you consulted, did any of them say, hey, you know what? Your body is going to do what your body's going to do. Let's focus on something else other than weight or was everyone everything so weight focused there 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 was one woman that i saw that said that but i wasn't ready to listen to that because i was i was in this mindset that i needed a meal plan that i needed this so i remember going to her and she was like i i don't focus on weight yeah i'm all about intuitive eating and i was like but i need a meal plan and and i ended up stopped going to her because I wasn't ready to work on that folk on that way of doing it. Um, and with therapy, I think, well, first is it's expensive to do therapy and Canada is really expensive. So I couldn't have, and I wouldn't necessarily, I would do one session here and there. It wasn't always long enough to really go deep. Um, so I did, I did up at one point, I did try to focus on therapy that was focused on eating disorders, but but it was hard to book this person often. So yeah, so I think it's really important to spend time, like a chunk of time, like, so for me, I found this center and it took me a year to go because they were like, you need to stop working. And I was like, how am I going to stop working? How am I going to ask how do you not, how do you pay your bills? They wanted you to stop working. I lived there for two months in this place and, but it was really scary to do. And that's why it's also like, it's a huge privilege to be able to one, afford the center, then be able to not work. So I talked to my job at that point and because it's in Canada, they had a, a, a really good mental health policy and they allow me to to leave for one month for the two months and um and and I was getting paid some sort of like insurance that it wasn't my full salary but it was like enough for me to not like oh like a short-term disability is that what what yeah mm-hmm. and I used part of my savings and my mom my mom also supported me she was like I'll pay for half of it yay mom mm-hmm. so it was a huge like team effort and I originally was meant to be there for one month. And then on the third day, I was like, no, I need one more month. Like there's so much that I need to unlearn and, and really uncover. So for those two months, it was amazing because you're working with a group of therapists and every day you, every day I had a session for two months. So you really go deep to uncover mm-hmm. things that I was um, holding on to, like a lot of guilt 
And so a lot of like, it was the first time that I learned, I called it that I was going to university for myself. Oh. And like, first time, first time ever that I heard about self-compassion, self-forgiveness. Um, the first thing they did when we went to the center was to sign a contract that said, there's, you can't talk about um, um, numbers like kilometers or, 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 or kilograms. And you can't, talk about food being good or bad all food here is legal there's no good food and bad food and all of that i remember even going to the center i had like this goodbye ceremony of like in my head i was going to go to this place and everything was going to be like made from scratch super healthy in quotation <laughs> and and i remember and i had this goodbye thing with my ex that we ordered like all these food that i thought that i was going to be able to have um and then when I go to this place and I open the fridge, I remember I was shocked that all the food was just like, it looked like a regular family fridge with like <laughs> uh, butter and mayo and dips and, and dressings. I had a huge things with dressings. I thought all the dressings need to be made from scratch and same with like hummus and dips. Like I would never buy them store bought. Like I would try to make them all from scratch. Um, so it was super refreshing. But the one exercise that I think was really valuable there when I found out that I was fat phobic was when they made us be like, okay, when you think about the word fat, what are the things that come to your head? Yeah. And then what are the things that come to your head when you, when you think about slim? And then when I started repeating myself out loud, like fat to me meant being lazy or being um, not disciplined enough or, you know, not fit enough and, and, and slim being successful, being um, focused, being disciplined. That's when you're like, holy, that's so unfair. There's so many people that are fat, that are successful, that are disciplined, that are fit, that are like, it has nothing to do with that. And that's when I realized how much internalized fat phobia I had. Wow. Yeah. And then another powerful one from the center was when they asked me, when I speak to myself in front of the mirror, what do I say? And when I started saying out loud how horrible I was, that's when I realized that I was being really self-abusive because every time I would look at myself in the mirror, it would be, I can't believe you've gained so much weight. You're full of fat. Your cellulite's like, you're so horrible. You let yourself go. You let yourself go. I would say that all the time. So obviously it was it was intense, but I had a really it, it was good to have a support network and, mm -hmm. and people that knew exactly how to talk about things, how to ask you things without being triggering. Oh yeah, um, which was really important. Yeah, my <laughs> what I really want to know the the guy who you were dating did you break up before you went? Was no? That oh my gosh, it was like a, no. I went and and I was it was it was such a hard relationship to get out of. Like I I went to the center, went back to Vancouver. I used to live in Vancouver at the time. There was a moment that I was like, I'm not going back to live with him. Like these are my conditions if I go because I can't have any restriction, any food restrictions, and being vegetarian. Oh. Really strict because he was like, you can't cook meat, you can't bring meat. I didn't realize how restricted I would feel because of that. So in the center they were like you can't have any restrictions you need to yeah. allow yourself to eat everything um but i i 
somehow got wrapped up and ended up trying to give it another shot. I ended up getting yeah. engaged after the center. <laughs> and then obviously I I ended up I ended up coming back to Nicaragua, kind of like running away from that relationship too. Yeah. I, like, I need to go home before I get married. And as and as soon as I arrived here, I was like, this is I felt such a huge relief and weight off my shoulders, and I end and we ended the relationship then. But it took a lot longer. It's yeah. really hard to when you are. I I realized later that I was in an emotional abusive relationship. Mm. But I once you're in it, it's really hard to 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 get out. So I'm I'm grateful that I'm out. And yeah. Well, and that would have taken so much courage. It really does. And I mean, it's so interesting, emotionally abusive relationship. And then when we're in it, we can't see it. I think it's so similar to when we're trapped in diet culture, when we're in active eating disorder. Like I struggled with binge eating disorder my whole life. And I don't know that it ever goes away. Like I always still kind of feel it, but I, but I know how to catch it before it starts. I know the factors that trigger it. I know the people that trigger it. Like I just live in a way that doesn't activate this, you know, part of myself. When we are living with eating disorders, we are living with an emotional abusive relationship with ourselves. Like it is really emotionally abusive. A hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. So, so back to the, the inpatient, um, where you treatment. were the treatment yeah thank you the inpatient treatment so you had therapy every day was is or a session every day was there a lot of like group like were there people who there, there was only five of us and we lived in a house and it was like it, the way it would start it was like a group therapy in the morning like a group session it wasn't yeah. like in the morning where you would talk about what you're grateful for, celebrating your wins, affirmations. I had never heard about affirmations until I went to this place. And it was like a, a great way to get together and feel that we're not alone. And there was always like a therapist that would guide the session. Then we would have like, um, then each person would have their individual sessions. Mm -hmm. And then you would have another group session later in the day that would talk about a new topic, like what is cognitive distortions or what what is understanding our emotions. That's why I really called it. It was going to university about us. And I wish we knew this type of material in school because you would be able to alleviate so much pain at an earlier age. And that's kind of what, what led me later down because leaving the center, I kept trying to do the, the exercises um, like the morning routine. And it led me to create my journal afterwards. Cause I was like, like I, I kept using that framework and seeing yeah. the affirmations for me, affirmations were such a powerful way to heal the relationship with the mirror. Because sometimes it's really hard to tell yourself something nice. Like if it, it takes time, right? And you can't expect that from being emotional, abusive to yourself, to mm -hmm. loving yourself, it doesn't happen from night to day. Like it's a process, right? And a journey and it's an up and down journey. It's not that, yay, I love myself and I love myself forever. <laughs> no, there's always going to be moments that we feel like we don't like ourselves. And that's where self-compassion is really powerful because it's about not judging how we feel and really embracing however we feel and being kind to ourselves and learning to treat ourselves how we would treat someone 
that we care for and right. we love. Um, can you can you give us an example of some of the affirmations? Like, what are some of the ones? And I think, I mean, this is where we get to your cards because I know you created a whole deck around them. And this, can I just say, from a neuroscience perspective, I have a, a bit of a neuroscience geek hat that I like to put on <laughs> because when we're in that really judgmental place, right? When we're looking in the mirror or just not feeling great about ourselves, like when we're in so much judgment, it, it's actually like impossible for our brain to get creative and come up with an affirmation on the fly. So having mm -hmm. cards like this is brilliant because you can pull it, you can look at it and it actually stops the judgment. A lot of people think affirmations are like silly. And I'm like, no, no, it is like the best, right? It is such an important tool for your brain. It's actually like great. It helps your brain do what it actually can't do without support. So I love that you took that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, it's like, I would, I ended up, I mean, I'm a designer and I, I love to illustrate. And so I would always buy these beautifully designed decks and, and, and I have like three or four and I would put them around like in my bedside table, in my mirror. And like here, usually my wall would be filled, but right now I had to take it all down. Um, but yeah, like just ways that I can remind myself to yeah. be, to be nice and to say something gentle to myself. And, and also if you're going to a place that, you know, can be triggering, like for example, if you're going to the fitting room, mm -hmm. trying new clothes, right. That can be a triggering place for a lot of people. You can always bring like one of the affirmations for like, say like I am enough just the way I am, or like the clothes that I wear does not define my value or the, there's the number on the scale does not define my value. Like I, they would in the center, they would encourage us to weight ourselves, but every two weeks just to heal the relationship with the scale. Cause a lot of people, I had a really complicated relationship with a scale. I would spend months without waiting. And when I would weight myself, it would be triggering and I would yeah. cry and I'd get, so they, yeah. So every time you would weight yourself, I created these little, I made like hand-drawn little messages saying like, you're good enough. Your weight doesn't define you as, and put them on the scale. And then that led me to create the affirmations. There is one about the, the weight too. Yeah. Um, but like my body is my home. Like I'm capable of changing my internal dialogue. I believe what I tell myself. Um, yeah, like, uh, my body is my home. I'm trying translating them because they're in Spanish. I have an English deck, but the one that I have right now, it's not, it's in Spanish, but my body is my home. Yeah, this one says, Mi cuerpo es mi casa, afirmo que es un lugar hermoso para vivir. So it means my body is my home. I affirm that it's a beautiful place to live. Oh. Wherever I go, I know I'm home because I'm in my body. Yeah, like, so um, it's been releasing them has been beautiful because a lot of people here for example here in Nicaragua that maybe have never heard of affirmations are buying them and like sharing and they're becoming little gay so it's been such a beautiful project because it's really like a dream a dream of mine to create my own deck and I did a illustration series called 100 days of brightness on Instagram where I would share I would illustrate and a story and then share the story 
And when I was thinking of doing the deck, I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed because I was like, I need to illustrate 50 things. But mm-hmm. then I realized that I already had done these illustrations <laughs> when I did my, my, my project. So I just kind of took them and picked affirmations, which were things that I would tell myself to encourage yeah. myself and then created the deck. Amazing. And they're so beautiful. The illustrations Thank are you. lovely. Wow. Do you find, I'm super curious, is it the illustration or the words that, that help you? Well, I, I, I think they both, like, I mean, the words to me, the journey with affirmations in my, as my journey was that they helped me, like I mentioned before, heal the relationship with a mirror because sometimes I wouldn't know what to say and I would just read an affirmation aloud in front looking at the mirror in front of my eyes and then before I know it I would slowly start having conversations with myself longer being like Ali I'm so proud look at the growth that you've done you're you're doing so well and I never, I had never done that before. And it felt really encouraged. Like I became my own best friend. Like I didn't need anybody else to encourage me. I could do it on my own in the mirror. And it, and then I started doing that whenever I would go to like an interview that I would used to get really nervous before. I'll be like, you know what you're talking about is your story. Like there's no way to do it wrong. Or if I were to do like um, a talk or something, you know, just like a moment to, in like mm-hmm. when I did my yoga teacher training and I had to teach the yoga class, I felt so un as in like I didn't practice the class or I didn't. I was like, and and I had a moment that I went in the mirror and I I read I think I read one of the affirmations and I put my hand in my heart and I was like, Ale, you've got this. Everybody here wants you to succeed. There's nothing wrong if you read your notes. Like just breathe, everything mm. will be fine. And and I felt so calm when I taught the class because I wasn't putting so much stress on yeah. it. Yeah. That's such an important skill that you develop to like go from stressed out and judgmental to like what I hear you say is like grounded and connected to your most resourceful self, your most confident self. And then like being able to make that switch. That's a really, that's a big deal. That's a big skill to develop. Thank you. It was definitely learning about reframing techniques like um, cognitive distortions, um, which an easy or simple exercise would be like being aware of your thought because a lot of people don't pay attention to what you are telling yourself and catching that thought writing it down there's a power into writing it down because when you write it down you realize how ridiculous and out of place it is and then you can use the cognitive distortions which are ways that you can um categorize your thoughts that you are not your thought and that it's a distortion. So it's like you're either catastrophizing when you think that the world is ending or you're generalizing, you think, like, I'm so lazy or I'm so mm-hmm. slow when it's only one incident. And But if the kinds of distortions are complicated, a, a simple way that I remember is like being like catching the thought and then asking yourself, if you were to say that out loud to your best friend or someone that you care, what would that person respond? And then writing down the response. And because I really was doing this almost daily, I could see my improvement into being able to do it and on the spot and and stop it. Because I really, it really changed my life. Like this technique changed my life because I had no idea how hard I was on myself. Yeah. And I, I had no idea how to catch it. But with practice, 
you get better at catching it on the spot and then reframing it on the spot. Yeah, that's like that mindfulness piece being able to, because you're so right. So I, in another, the other work that I do is as a writing coach and I have a whole class that I teach about um, how to get out of our own way. So basically dealing with our inner critic, because our inner critic, when we're writing, when we're drawing, when we're living our life, when we're going on dates, like the inner critic is the inner critic, right? And so it's so that, it's so true. Like we don't know. And and then we start to pay attention. We're like, why am I saying these things to myself? Like I'm They're so ridiculous. It's so yeah. ri- right. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's mean. Like I, and it, it's amazing until we become conscious of it. We, this is just like this running chatter constantly in our minds. Right. And I've been able to identify how my body feels too. Like I, I've noticed that if I'm if I'm able, I've noticed that because I, I I don't I've never done the ADHD test, but I I'm almost sure I am ADHD. Like it's, yeah. I I get sometimes like scattered and like it's hard for me to focus sometimes. But so I know that when I'm if I'm having a conversation with someone and I'm not paying attention because sometimes I'm like thinking about all the things that I have to do and I completely <laughs> lost track. That means that my mind is going like like five miles an hour like super fast and I need to take a moment to sit down and write down all these things that I have that I'm, that are going on in my head and it's like a cleanse like as, yes. as sometimes and sometimes I have 20 thoughts sometimes I have five sometimes I only have one but to me like going thought by thought and reframing it yeah it feels so like oh. such a release after. I can you breathe better like, even hearing you say that <laughs> I'm yeah, like, oh, I'm and breathing so again. <laughs> every person would have their own way of recognizing when that is happening, but that's how, one that I would notice. Or if I feel like I'm super, like I'm being more anxious, like maybe biting my nails or like, or like touching, like fidgeting, fidgeting, fidgeting with things. It's like, a, it's like, okay, I need to take a moment to really like do like a brain cleanse in a way and like wow. brain dump all my thoughts and and yeah it's automatic for me it's been automatic how I feel afterwards is really powerful so when I did the journal I really made sure because that was not part of the routine we would do that exercise like maybe once a week to do write down all our our dialogue but when I designed my journal I made sure to include that in the as a daily thing because to me it was super powerful and I was like more people should know about this because it's really um, effectful. It's really effectful if you spend the time. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. Curious about how being in this eating disorder recovery program shifted your relationship to food. Oh, of course. Yeah, it was a huge shift. Like, before, again, I used to have so many rules around food that I still have sometimes. Like, again, same with like the the, the fat, fat phobia or even self-acceptance. Yeah. There's going to be things that are so ingrained that takes a little bit longer to heal. Um, but yeah, my relationship with food has, I, I used to be so self-conscious of everything and now it's being more like, you know, letting it, letting um, like not worrying so much. Like there's nothing wrong if one day you felt like eating a burger and you ate it fast. I used to mm-hmm. be like, I didn't practice intuitive eating. I wasn't mindful when I ate my chocolate. And the, the <laughs> nutritionist was like, you are practicing intuitive eating. It's really about being self-compassionate and like just being aware, being instead of judging yourself for eating the chocolate so fast, it's being like, okay, 
why did I eat it that as how am I feeling that but not looking at it from a place of judgment but more like an observer of using it as a hint as a hint of like okay this is this happened this is a hint that maybe I need something I need journaling or what do I need to feel better almost like an alert signal for you yeah using it as a hint using like or similar to what I was talking about listening to your body when I was when I know that my mind is going 24 7 it could be same with food like sometimes I maybe I ate something super fast and I used to be so hard on myself for it now it's like no maybe I'm anxious about something what can I do yeah maybe there's something that I'm I'm, I need that is not being met like maybe I just need to hug myself or tell me that I love myself or that you know go to the mirror and give me some words of kindness or yeah um yeah so it's like what you did with surfing. I didn't fall off the surfboard because I'm fat. I fell because I. this is my second time surfing, you know? Yeah, so the, with food, it's been the same. As It's literally, I think, he, this whole process of healing your relationship with body image and food is really life-changing because it also teaches you to heal your relationship with people, setting yeah. boundaries, um, with money, being, you know, asking for what you need. Because I think at the end of the day, the root, is really more working on your like understanding that your value has nothing to do with the the size of your body, the job that you have, the money that you make, the all these external things that we put so much yeah. pressure. And it's really about being okay with who we are wherever we are, right? Or who are and and accepting ourselves how we are now without wanting to change things so much. That to me, I think it's the core of, of which I think before I wouldn't, I would always want to change something, either my body image or even my job or my relationship or, you know, there was always something that I felt that I wasn't enough, like feeling, no, Ali, you are enough <laughs> just with what you have. Yeah. It's such a rebellious thought too. I'm the, I'm the same. I grew up very much believing that I had to earn worthiness in a variety of ways, the best grades, the most athletic you know, body stuff for sure, body size, all these types of things. And to actually realize, and this is funny, this is my affirmation that I say constantly because I'm still deprogramming it is I am worthy exactly as I am. I am mm. worthy exactly as I am. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to earn anything because I am constantly still driven to earning it. And I, and I, it's, it is funny. It really does take, and I've been doing this work for a long time and it takes, it's still ongoing to, because I think, cause we're surrounded by messages that tell us we have to earn it. You know, you have to look a certain way, do a certain, do certain things in order to be deemed worthy by our societal standards and yeah we live in a society that is extremely competitive too and social media sometimes doesn't help too because like there's like a lot of so it's it's i think it's human that we all feel that we need to look for this worthiness elsewhere but but i think you touched something really important which is when i left the center that was really challenging because i was mm -hmm. in a space that was really safe where everybody knew how to say knew all the so it felt I was amazing I felt amazing I was like I'm great this is gonna be awesome I'm I know what I'm doing and then I go back to the real world back at 
back into that relationship that was super intense back going back to work realizing all these diet talk at work that I wasn't fully aware and and it was it felt really triggering traveling I remember traveling and 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 I was like my body was I was in a bigger size so I felt really like (gasps) going Mm -hmm. to stores there was a whole it was a whole journey after the center too but I think it I think it's really important to talk about the fact that it's a never ending journey and it's an up and down journey and there's never going to be like a finish because sometimes people think, Oh, if I do this work, then it would all be done and I'll be, I'll feel I'll be healed. And it's like, no, like there's going to be moments where you're going to fall and you get back up, you get back up stronger. Like maybe you won't before, maybe I would not want to get out of bed for four days and now it's only one, you know, something. Yes. The progress you can measure progress in, um, um, and that's why to me self compassion has been really life changing because it was it's really about you know embracing our ups and downs and not judging and um, yeah I talk I love talking about self compassion because I think it's a I wish we knew about this when we were younger but it doesn't matter we're all talking about it now. <laughs> Trying to, trying to. It's hard. Again, it's one of those things that people think, well, okay, sure, be self-compassionate, but also still be the best, still do like it's 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 this thing that we say, but to actually live from self-compassion is very, very challenging. Yeah. It's not, yeah, and if people don't get it, it's they they think there's a lot of judgment around being self-compassionate. Oh, you just, you don't have to do anything. You can just be compassionate. Mm-hmm. What about self-improvement? Like they, there's this, there's a lot of like energy around it. It's, it's really interesting because it's proven that the people that are more self-compassionate are actually more successful because they don't, they don't compare themselves. They don't let, um, you're not, yeah, you give yourself a break when you need to give yourself a break and you're being more productive because you're, listening to yourself and putting more boundaries. So it has a lot of um, qualities that are really powerful. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. I love that you bring in self-compassion. As you kind of went back into the real world, (laughs) the re-entry, I've done a number of different um, types of programs where we spend a lot of time together. And again, like you said, this very safe, safe space. And then we talk about, okay, so Let's get ready because we're returning to real world where not everyone thinks like this and knows the right thing. Like you said, the right things to say and how mm-hmm. to say them. Um, and I had one um, one leader who always talked about Bloody Monday because we always ended the program on Sunday. And Bloody Monday was her day that she knew her family knew. Don't talk to her. Like <laughs> really, it was this like transition time. And sometimes it would take her a week and sometimes it would just be the Monday. But as you transitioned back into real life, and like you said, back into this relationship, and I don't, how long ago was this now? This was 2019? This was three years ago now. Yeah, 2019. 2019 is when I went into the center and left my, left Canada to come to Nicaragua and ended that engagement, that relationship. Yeah. So it was three years ago. So if you think about the last three years, what's been like the biggest surprise for you? I mean, there's been a lot of things that have happened. I think, yeah, I think what I said has been the biggest surprise because like sometimes you have this, like, like, for example, going through recovery. um, I mean, I'm still in recovery, but like going through the center and 
I think there was a, a false hope deep inside of me that you that I was like, okay, if I if I eat intuitively, I'm gonna go back to the body size that I used to have before, you know, and yeah. and realizing that no, like you know, I'm like, oh, the eating disorder is still talking to me here, or like the inner internalized fat phobia is still telling me, like you're better in a smaller body so it's just I think it's realizing yeah it's kind of it's like you constantly have to remind yourself and there's going to be moments that you're going to have going to the doctor can be really triggering Mm -hmm. um every I went to doctor last time and it was fine but the previous time was so triggering I felt like I w- you go back to old habits of like I need to talk to a nutritionist because I need to change my whole diet and I need to go talk to a personal trainer because I need to my, I need to work out more because you know so it's like so intense so in that moment I've I've learned to equip myself with certain people like I still have sessions with the therapist at the center but like um with nutritionist I had a session with this nutritionist that was into a freaking out panicking mode and she was like Ale you're doing fine you don't you don't even need to see me anymore you're eating well like it's all good you don't need to change anything and you're like oh okay 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 okay. I don't need to but I think it's remembering that these patterns will come and 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 being able to have certain like group of people that you know that are going to tell you the right thing at the at the right time you know yeah, it's like your support people and then your support um, strategies. It's like you need both. You need your people and you need your strategies. I'm super curious about, especially because you mentioned your mom a few times mm-hmm. and that she even, she was, again, unknowingly about her impact was one of the people that mm-hmm. kind of propagated this and had you feel really bad um, or not bad. I shouldn't say that. I don't want to judge, but like just comments like that we would just, I mean, my, my family's the exact same. There are these comments that are made. Um, but then, you know, obviously she supported you through this financially mm-hmm. and afterwards, like you mentioned boundaries too. I'm really curious. Did, you, did she have to do some learning? She had to do some learning a hundred percent. And that's another thing that I think it's important to learn and understand that because you went through that journey, it doesn't mean that other people are going to catch up to the, to you in that journey as the same, like it's a process. Like I've lived here. They didn't go through it. My parents, like I've lived here back home for three years now. And I'm like, they still say things that I'm like, oh my gosh, haven't you lived with me? <laughs> you know? So and don't you know, don't you <laughs> listen to all the lives that I've done or read all my Instagram posts? Like, shouldn't you I know deeply, better? I you know? deeply relate. <laughs> <laughs> that um, expectation I think it's important to be like you can't expect people are gonna change or they're gonna do the inner work that they need to do oh but I want them to this is my struggle I know I know (laughs) it's a struggle but it's also like I've learned to like let it be you know like I'm not the one to change them they're gonna do it at their own time I don't want to spend more energy in that space because sometimes it can be it can be hard it's hurtful um but yeah with my mother I had to set a boundary with her because even after all of this I came back to Nicaragua and she kind of was insinuating for me to lose weight and she was like why don't you do this and why don't you do that and I had to tell her mom I know that I'm the biggest that I've been 
but I tell you that it's the happiest that I've been with myself. And I want you to stop commenting and to, you know, I'm not, I'm just not going to do any of that. But it was, I had to be up front and I had to tell that to my parents, right? My dad and my stepmom being like boundaries with food or commenting, hey, like when I'm around, I would like not to talk for you not to talk about because it's so common here. They are like, oh, like uh, not even about me, but like about my dad, my stepmom to my dad being like, um, you shouldn't eat that. You shouldn't eat this. So I had to be like, when I'm around, I don't want any, like, there's no rules around food. So being clear with those boundaries to protect yourself. And sometimes people are not going to be good with those boundaries, but that's more like their thing that they need to work on. Um, or also learning to not, to try to not get so triggered. Like for me, like I remember one aunt without me asking, she kind of gave me all these tips of this diet that she was oh, doing. And, yes. Let me and tell I, you what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to listen to her. And cause I know that it has nothing to do with me and it's more her that she needs to work through that. And she hasn't had the privilege that I've had of going to the center and being in this place. Mm-hmm. So I need to be compassionate and just, you know, I'm not, I'm not, but I had to say, I kept saying that to myself in the moment because some before that would have been super triggering. But now I, I think I'm in a place where I could listen and just, you know, or even it's it's just everywhere. The diet talk is everywhere. Like you go, you work out with a group of people. And when I was living at the beach, I, I joined these like group um, workout classes mm-hmm. and it was really hard for me because everybody would start talking about oh I ate so much during the weekend so I need to do this to lose it all and you're like whoa and and sometimes if you listen to that conversation a lot it can get to you again yeah it starts to renormalize it mm-hmm. so for late for me lately I've, when it comes to um doing exercise I've done it a lot on my own because I found that like going to spaces like the gym or certain group classes can be can be can be um it's exposing myself to that energy that I that I don't want or I don't need um and I found that that it's what has worked with when it comes to movement because yeah there's a whole process of healing your relationship with exercise too my relationship with exercise was extremely based on changing the way my body looked versus how I feel. And now I'm able to be like, you know, my mind is going crazy. I just need to go for a quick jog to literally not think about things. (laughs) And you feel so much better and have so much more energy. And I find that I've been able to do it more versus going crazy, being like, I need to work out seven days a week or, and then stop. So this has been a bit more consistent. Um, Everything you're saying, especially around like the boundaries, your mom, your dad, people, exercise classes, movement with yourself, you know, I just keep hearing how you're holding such compassion, compassion for you, compassion for them, compassion for people who know, compassion for people who don't know. Like it really, it it sounds like it really has become the root of how you try to operate in the world. I might not be as calm as I am now. So I have, <laughs> I've had moments of being really rude or being really yeah. like, you know, <laughs> upfront. And, but I think again, it's being compa- not judging myself for reacting that way, you know, cause it can be really triggering. So if I've had a moment, and especially with our parents, we tend to be, at least I tend to be, sometimes you speak to your parents. Oh yeah. 
I become 13 years old. Yeah. I'm like a kid again. I slam doors. I yell. I'm 42, Alejandra. (laughs) I have slammed doors, yelled, hung up phones. I mean, I become a 13 year old girl. Exactly. So sometimes I've given myself compassion and them as the the journaling part of being like, hey, you reacted this way because something triggered. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. It's totally human. Um, The next time you're going to handle it better. I think just taking a time to be again or look at the situation without judgment give yourself some compassion even if you reacted the way that you were not proud of um but yeah you end up letting it go because I used to carry that a lot of being feeling really guilty and feeling you know and now I'm like it's fine I wasn't the best way of reacting but it's human it's human i am human and i'm allowed to have these moments of exploding or being like uh triggered it's 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 a sensitive topic still and um it's human to get triggered totally (laughs) and you can always repair you can always like it's not like i don't know i feel like yeah you're gonna ask for forgiveness and have conversations yeah i feel like we get so um What's the word? Basically, I think, and I think I socialized. I think we get so socialized to always, especially I would say, not to be too gendered, but I would say a lot of girls and women feel like I have to be really nice and polite mm-hmm. and um, kind of like your tattoo that rebels mm-hmm. against that. <laughs> um, can I say what your tattoo says? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it says, fuck princesses. <laughs> That's right. Fuck princesses. Um, <laughs> you know, because there is this thing about, uh, how, yeah, kind of really how we're socialized. And then so setting a boundary, losing it, showing emotion often um, feels scary because that's not what we're told. People often are surprised they back away. So there's like a withdrawal of love and safety and security. And then I think what you said is so beautiful. Like just knowing, be like, you know what? It's okay. I'm human. They're human. We're all having reactions. And it's not like that's it. Game over. We can come back Mm. together. We can continue. We can actually handle the messiness of it all. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important that we can do that. And I feel like that's such a part of what you learned and what you're living. And it's really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think to me, the biggest lesson is just to take some time to sometime, even if it's five minutes a day to kind of like to, 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 to even process what has happened in the last day, you know, and, yeah. and kind of like, um, like reflect on it. Yeah. Reflect on it. Feel how you're feeling. Um, have a moment of journaling. Journaling has been so healing for me. Like just, just writing what I think, writing how I feel, writing myself letters of self-forgiveness or even, or even people, people that triggered me or people that I've had hard conversations with. I, I do this exercise of like, okay, I'm going to write them a self-forgiveness letter and you somehow like it elevates you. And sometimes I send them to them or sometimes I don't. I want to just underscore that really quick because I actually do a lot of that with my work too. And the thing is you can write these letters, but everyone always thinks, oh, but I can't send it. No, no, you don't have to send it. It's not actually about sending it. It's just about the writing of the letter. You can burn it. Like that's fine. But it's just the writing of it actually is very therapeutic. So I love that you mentioned that. A hundred percent. Yes. And I, and, uh, and to yourself too, a lot of self-forgiveness to yourself, like 
um, it can be really healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit because you also do this other amazing, amazing thing, which is Shine Bootcamp, which is a confidence accelerator for women, um, a speaker and confidence accelerator for women. And one of the things I'm really curious about is um, as someone, like I've done quite a bit of speaking, I've I won't go into my background, but I'm very familiar with being up in front of people in a bigger body and being like, oh my God, I'm in a bigger body. And there's there's an extra, public speaking already is challenging, showing up with confidence, having things to say. And then I think there's this added layer of any internalized anti-fatness that we might feel, assumptions we're making about what other people might be thinking. And you layer that on top of, and then you try to show up being confident. Like, it's it can be a hot mess so talk to us about confidence in a bigger body and i imagine a lot of this has to do with professional settings or pitch type settings like what even if you have some practical tips for us yeah for sure for sure like i i I was telling you earlier in a conversation that one of the i was having a moment i i got invited in my old school to do this was in the pandemic so it was all virtual to do an in, a live interview but she they didn't want to give me the questions ahead of time and i was feeling extremely nervous being like oh my gosh i've never done a live interview what if they ask me this and i don't know how to answer it like i i was just feeling super nervous and i happened to have a therapy session and she and i told her about it and she was like ale like remember confidence comes with exposure the more you do something the more confident you're going to become. And that stayed a lot with me. And it calms me because it's like, of course, I'm going to feel nervous about doing a live interview without having questions. I've never done that before. And it's completely human. If that was my job and I would do it every day, then I wouldn't feel nervous. Um, so I, I think it's just embracing, like change, reframing what we think of nerves, you know, instead of feeling like guilty that we feel nervous or unprepared, it's being like, no, you're nervous because you care. You're nervous because this is something that you've never done before. Um, and every also normalizing feeling insecure, like everyone feels insecure. Yeah, everybody feels this way at some point, even the people that do it all the time. Um, and exposing, I think what's really important is to expose yourself to these situations and doing it with fear. Like I, I talk, and I talk about this in my social media. Every time I do a new project, I am terrified and I get mm-hmm. super nervous and I, and my imposter syndrome comes or my negative self-talk becomes really loud. And I'm like, it's part of the process. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it with fear. The fear is never going to go away is, or the nerve is never going to go away. But, uh, but I'm learning to do it with that feeling. And it somehow it makes, that's a great saying. Just do it with fear. I'm going to do it with fear. All right. Fear's coming along anyway. So why fight it? Like, come on fear. Let's go. (laughs) part of it it's like it's like you're going through it and it will be okay and if it's not perfect it's fine too like it's normal that the first time you do it it doesn't it didn't like I started doing a live series and I remember Mm. you can see when you go back to the first live I was feeling maybe I would put a lot of makeup because I would feel super nervous it was as a way of like being like all done up and then as the series went on you could see that I'm way more relaxed way more myself way more conversational um less rigid you know and recently I did a um 
I went to a studio to record a video and oh, it started again. I was like, because I'm super comfortable now, like doing like just on Instagram, like recording myself. Um, but I went into this place and I had like my hair done. I had, I put makeup and I was like, I just don't feel like myself. This is strange. I have this, all these lights and this big camera. And I, uh, and you know, I was like, you know what? If those videos come out and I'm not as relaxed, it's completely human because this was my first time. The next time I'll do it, I'll get better. And the third time I'll do it, I'll get better. And eventually I'll feel more myself when I'm in this fancy setup. <laughs> That's so beautiful. What was that saying again? Confidence comes with exposure. That's so powerful, Ale. Oh, Alejandra. I just wanted to call you Ale. Ale. <laughs> Because, you know, we're buddies now. Yeah, um, we're buddies. Oh, I love that so much. Confidence comes with exposure. And there's this whole feeling that sometimes we put so much pressure on the word confident. I need to look confident. I need to, and it's like, no, like you, um, it's a muscle that you develop. It's the same as everything that we've been talking about, being more compassionate, being practicing intuitive eating, self-acceptance. Like it's all a process and there's not going to be a finish line. There's not going to be a moment that you feel confident about everything. Because even the most confident no. person in public speaking will go into a situation that has never been before and won't feel like more. maybe they go surfing. Exactly. 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 Right? So, so yeah. And that's how we learn and grow. I keep thinking, I, I actually have really tried hard to start to love that feeling because if I don't feel that feeling anymore, then I'm going to be super bored with life. If there's no more risks to take, if there's no more, oh my God, can I do it? <laughs> like this podcast was a huge leap for me. Oh my God. When the first, every, still, still every Wednesday morning when I wake up, I'm like, oh my God, is this the day where everyone realizes that I'm horrible? And, and then I'm like, no, 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 hang on, breathe, get your coffee. <laughs> like it's going to be okay. But there is this, um, that, that whole piece around like, tapping into who we are right now, the human that we are, connecting to the qualities that make us great, affirmations. Like what I'm hearing and what I'm so loving about this episode, Alejandra, Ale, is that there's just all of these like different tools and techniques that you've shared with us that that people can be inspired by and then pick their own. Like one of the exercises I do with clients and my um in the kind of the body liberation work that I do uh, is invite them to create an oh shit list, which is basically like, okay, when shit hits the fan and you're feeling terrible, I want you to have a post-it note on the fridge or on your desk or by your bedside table that has like 10 things that I can do immediately to help myself. Mm -hmm. And you've listed so many and I'm just so grateful for your wisdom today. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. Thank, yeah. you. Thank you. Um, I have one more question for you, which is, of course, about joy. So how do you stay connected to joy? How do you turn towards joy? Talk to us about your version of joy. I love, I love um, listening to music. Like I find even if it's, um, or even practicing a moment of, let's say, when I go to do journaling, I've tried to do like a little ritual, you know, I try to like um, either use a little bit of oil or like light a candle. And uh, I find that I, I started doing that when I would teach a yoga class. I really would bring all these little things to help. I ease my nerves being like, you know, it's, it's a calming space. And I found that 
And then I was like, oh, I should do that when I journal to give, you know, it's just like a moment to treat yourself, even if yeah. it's five minutes, but you make that whole like sensorial experience. Creating a sacred space. Mm-hmm. So creating a sacred space, putting a little bit of music. Um, yeah, dancing. Like I, I find that whenever I love dancing to me, like going to a party and, and not <laughs> dancing is like, is like hard. <laughs> so I love, <laughs> I just love dancing and I feel like dancing has the more I've gone through body acceptance. Cause I used to be really like would dance like with people, you know, being self self-conscious of how I would dance. And the more I release, the more I care less. And it's just about moving and it doesn't matter if it doesn't go with the rhythm of the music or if I don't, you know, and just enjoy it. Um, yeah. So I, I find like for me, finding joy is really spending some time to, again, do the whole cleanse of like the, and giving myself grace. But sometimes it's hard. Like I know that this is hard to do every day, but. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you try to do it every day? Like do you have an intention? I I try to, I feel like this month, for example, I haven't been as good as like writing in my Mm -hmm. journal. But again, the journal doesn't have dates, so you, it's meant for you to pick it up whenever. It's Beautiful. Trying. The whole thing is being compassionate, and um, I did. A, I recently did a challenge, a twelve days for you challenge, and I, I even had a struggle with the word challenge. Like it was really it can be really triggering the word challenge because it was always fitness challenges uh, or eating challenges. So I was like, I don't want to call it challenge, but. I kept being, no, it's like reframing this word challenge. It doesn't need to be a triggering word. It could be, we can, we can do a compassionate challenge. It could be, yeah. it doesn't, if you don't do it one day, it's fine. You do it the next day or the next week. You could do it at your own pace. And I kept saying this. So it's the same with me being practicing joy. Like if I don't do it daily, it's fine. I'll do right? it whenever I need to do it. <laughs> I love that so much. Permission to not practice joy every day. Yes. <laughs> so good. Oh, Alejandra, thank you. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad we got to spend some time together and I got to hear more about your life. You're such a delight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been wonderful. <laughs> Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. Today's poem is called Ode to the Jaw, and it's by Therese Gleason. And I love how irreverent, but also deeply earnest this poem is. I find each word is so beautifully chosen. You actually, it, it's, it's like a workout for your job even to read it. Um, and that intentionality, that choice, the choicefulness of it um, really feels connected to the intentional steps of Alejandra Porta's journey with her eating disorder. And so that's why I chose this one for Alejandra's episode. Here it is. This is for the twin hinge 
hardest of bony workers, gatekeeper of body and mind, guardian of the tooth cave, vestibule for breath and sustenance. Puppeteer behind the scenes, you crank the red drawbridge open and closed, sheriff of the mouth, keeper of speech, teacher of suck and kiss, clamp with damp lips. Is it any wonder you yawn and ache? You are Sisyphus of swallowing, atlas of the mouth's gummed palate, tamer of muscular tongue and teeth. You are chewer of words and meat, mandible and maxilla in a marriage of opposites, chomping till death do you part. Holy equation of catch and release. You are holder of tension, detritus of language and emotion, ground down by the tectonics of the molar ridge. Tender buttons, jointed joist of bone on bone, clenched or unseated in sleep, you rouse the three-headed dragon, trigeminal and terrible, to unleash a shower of darts shimmering from eye socket to cheek. Oh, simple machine, mother who feeds, domed cathedral of human want and need, Oh, sacred portal that falls open at rest when the soul is released. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on the website at www.fatjoy.life and on Patreon at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Please don't forget to check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. Talk again soon. Bye.